On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about Tim Hortons, everybody's favorite or not favorite, up to you, Hamilton business, uh, but got some issues going on right now. We're going to talk about that with Marvin Ryder. And what should the NBA be doing when they have a referee who one of the teams hates and yet he is scheduled to do their playoff game. Should they have him do the game and say, deal with it? Or should they say, no, we don't need the controversy. We'll talk about that with Bubba O'Neill. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Tim Hortons is in the news today. Everybody likes talking about Tim Hortons, whether we talk about them because we love them or talk about them because we don't love them. They are inarguably one of this city's great success stories. We can't get around that. And it is a company that... I think still, even in 2019, people in this city feel a certain connection to a certain, and again, whether you drink their coffee, eat their donuts and whatever else, there is a, there is a certainly an interest level in this city that that's more than you would find in other cities for this particular company. Well, they had their annual shareholders conference call and some interesting things were said by the CEO of Restaurant Brands International, which is the parent company. Let me bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business to chat about this stuff today. Marvin, thanks for doing this. Glad to be here. By the way, it is National Honesty Day. I brought that up before the break. I, I always just introduce you as Marvin because you're, you know, you're, you're a regular. You're a, uh, you're a member of the Scott Radley Show family, but I should probably say Dr. Ryder. It is Dr. No, Ryder, no, correct? Actually, in, in truth, to be honest, Honesty Day, I don't have a PhD, so it'd be quite wrong to call me Dr. Wow, Ryder. Okay. Well, you, I, I broke a few rules at the university. They let me in without the doctorate, and so I've been there 35 years and haven't changed the haven't changed the title. So it's just Mr. Ryder or Marvin is just fine. Well, here's the thing, though: if you are able to do what you do without a doctorate and do it better than most of the other ones who have one, maybe we should have more professors without a doctorate who just understand how to speak English. Well, bless your heart. No, there's there's a quite a range of people. We all have our unique talents. I don't do a lot of research. Other people are pushing those boundaries. My, my role is a bit more applied in nature. The, uh, as I said a moment ago, the CEO of Restaurant Brands International was talking to the shareholders for Tim Hortons. I guess their results were not quite what they had hoped. And the first thing that he pointed at as a reason for why things hadn't gone so well was the fact that it was a really rough winter. And this, uh, now, you know, I don't know, Marvin, maybe, I, maybe my logic doesn't follow, but seems to me that if you're selling coffee, a rough winter would be the exact thing you would want. Well, I, I don't want to be unkind, but let's just start off. The CEO of Restaurant Brands International is a nice fellow named Jose Seal. Mr. Seal started with the company uh, on the Burger King side of the house in Miami, Florida, and he spent most of his time based in Miami, Florida. He became CEO of Restaurant Brands International just in January of this year. And so my feeling is for Mr. Seal, anytime he's visited Canada, certainly in the last three months, it's been a lot colder than it's been in <laughs> Miami. And he's quite taken by this. I, I don't think he necessarily understands that aspect of Canadian culture. But it is fair to say that we certainly had days the university had almost a record number of closure days because of snow and when we say to people stay off the roads we're also saying stay out of restaurants stay out of other places like that so i think remember we're talking about a decline in year-over-year sales when you compare one store from one year to the next down 0.6 percent you know a few days all that takes is a few days out of a quarter to make that kind of a difference 
But okay, so I agree with you. You take those few days out, that makes a difference. But the fact that it was cold and miserable much of the rest of the time, do you not anticipate that would have encouraged people to go and buy more on those other days when they were on the street? Well, you would think so. So what Mr. Seal didn't mention, and I'll mention to you, is that Tim Hortons for years really had this coffee market in Canada to itself. Oh, there were little players and and some niche players and even some higher-end players like a Starbucks. But in the last five years, a, a competitor who's really put... Tim Hortons and their crosshairs is McDonald's. Mm. McDonald and their Mick Cafe has decided to take them on. And in this most recent quarter, uh, Tim Hortons, or excuse me, uh, McDonald's was there with bucket uh, glass coffee. You take whatever size you like, it's a buck. And they're trying to really take the coffee market and, and take it away from Tim Hortons. And I think that, more than the cold weather, explains what happened in this last quarter. Do you know if that is going on south of the border, or is this a McDonald's Canada strategy after going after, directly going after Tim Hortons? You know, I think the way I would explain it to you is the Mick Cafe concept actually came out of Europe, and it's really quite fascinating. I'm lucky enough to visit Europe almost every year, and I do find Mick Cafes, and they look nothing like a McDonald's. They actually look like, okay, a bit of a manufactured cafe, but with lovely espresso machines and croissant and all those kinds of things you associate with a cafe, and they become very, very popular in Europe. And so anyone operating in North America would be crazy not to try to bring it here. Now, we do tend to find the Mick Cafes more in the United States in urban environments where you've got more street traffic, people walking by who might be interested in stopping in on a cafe. But here in Canada... Uh, they certainly have taken Tim Hortons in their crosshairs, even to the point of matching them by putting a McDonald's coffee in the grocery stores that you can buy it if you prefer it to Tim Hortons or any other brand you might like. So does this mean then that McDonald's is winning? McDonald's won pretty much in this last quarter, and, and probably uh, you're about to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the roll-up the rim contest. That really should have kept Tim Hortons in the lead, but with a poor contest showing and then this bucket a glass or a bucket cup a strategy of McDonald's, it wasn't the best quarter for Tim Hortons. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Marvin Ryder of not Doctor Marvin Ryder, although he should be. I'm gonna I'm gonna push now for an, at least one honorary doctorate in the next little while. Well, bless your heart. Uh, we're talking about Tim Hortons and some challenges that Hamilton's. Uh, well, I was gonna say Hamilton's favorite company, a, a company near and dear to Hamiltonians, let's say, uh, is facing. We talked about the fact that sales are down a little bit, but Marvin, one of the interesting things that this CEO of Restaurant Brands International also pointed out in this stockholders call was that Roll Up the Rim to Win is going to need a reboot. You agree with his suggestion on that one? Well, I'm going to say yes, but only in the sense that Roll Up the Rim to Win has been going since 1986. So it's been 33 years out there. Uh, The basic premise of the contest hasn't changed in all that time. You buy a cup of coffee, hidden under the rim could be a potential prize. You have to break your thumb to try to roll up that rim, and then you might be (laughs) rewarded with a, a cookie or donut or maybe a new car. Who knows? In the most recent contest, which began in early February and went through March, they did deliver more than 300 million cups. Let me just say that to you again. 300 million cups were part of the Roll Up the Rim to Win. But they don't do this just out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing this to try to either maintain the sales that they have at the stores from one year to the next or maybe even grow them. What we now learned from the conference call was that in last year, in 2018, Uh, Sales had declined by about half a percent, so in anticipation of this year's contest, they added a few more prizes, some bigger prizes, they extended the duration of the contest, put it out there, and again, 
sales were down during the contest period by half a percent. Now, they have concluded that the contest isn't quite delivering, and I think that's partly true. Um, I saw a letter to the editor in the, in the Hamilton paper, the Hamilton Spectator, uh, complaining about the contest. This person felt this was a tremendous waste of paper killing trees. Uh, why aren't you doing this online with an app? And today the, the CEO suggested they were going to have some kind of a digital component for next year. But I think the other question is, what does McDonald's do during that contest period? They went for this bucket cup strategy they had. And I think it becomes very interesting. Do you want to take a chance? You buy a cup of coffee at uh, Tim Hortons, and you might win a lovely prize. Or do you save a couple of cents and buy the cup of coffee at McDonald's for a buck? And there are some people, when you give them that choice, who vote in a way that they're not used to. In other words, people always played roll up the rim. That seemed to be the thing to do. But if you have played it, most people who've played it haven't won very much over the years. Maybe the odd $10 gift card or $25 gift card. The, the big prizes are few and far between. Whereas paying just a dollar for a cup of coffee, especially if it's on the run, I'm commuting, I've got to catch the go train, I'm going to the kids' hockey game, I'm really just wanting to suck down something to get me started first thing in the morning, I don't really care beyond that. Boy, so I think, you know, sure, let's refresh the contest. I don't think that's a crazy idea. Sure, add some digital components, but don't, don't get away too much from the tactile sensation of rolling up the rim to win. Mm. But find a way to compete against McDonald's, and that might be that during the contest period, not only can you win a prize, but maybe the small is a little cheaper or the medium is a little cheaper. You may have to play that game, too. Yeah, uh, usually what I win is a really exciting opportunity to play again. Okay. Uh, actually, one time, Marvin, on an, as an aside, I one time I thought I won a motorhome, and then I reread it and it said, win a bagel. So... <laughs> Uh, you can use that one at work tomorrow. I, I give you freedom to use that one. Yeah. Um, but no, you're, you're on to something, though, for sure. When the, the last part you say there, but you don't want to get too far away from it because I would think, as a marketing person would look at this, you have something that since 1986, I think you said, has been pretty successful. The worst thing you could do would be, I would think, to kill this off without something really good to fill into its place and then just abdicate that area. Well, in fact, you know, that would be McDonald's dream, wouldn't it? If you cancel the contest altogether and said we're going to go in a different direction, McDonald's would declare a victory and they would, they would then double down and do this again to you. You've got to find a way to fight back. And I do think the tactile nature, for instance, in this letter to the editor, somebody said, buy a cup of coffee and I'll give you a scratch card. Well, scratch cards aren't just the same as, or here, you know, here's a number, go to the website, enter the number, maybe something magical can happen at the website. It, it's just not the same as roll up the rim to win. That cup that you have in your hands is your entry and could lead to something wonderful. And remember, 300 million cups were distributed during the contest, so somebody is still going and buying coffee, someone is still playing. I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but um, the, the founder of this contest, uh, he, he's still alive, he's 79, when asked about this, he said he felt they had uh, diminished the role of the prizes on the cup. In other words, when you bought the cup, you didn't see the uh, the car that you could win or the bicycles, they had minimized that. He might play it that way. I'm not, again, sure that makes the big difference, uh, but but thinking through the contest and finding some ways to modify it, that's not such a crazy idea after 33 years. There is also something, Marvin, we only have a minute or so left here, but there's also thing when you walk into a Tim Hortons often during the day, there is, and I'm not going to necessarily say, but there is a certain demographic that is sitting at that Tim Hortons store, 
And I'm not sure that that demographic, if you were to give them a computer number to pump into their iPhone or whatever, is the exact demographic that's going to go for that. They like having that cup in their hands that they can roll up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a very good part of this whole thing. That Mr. Beast, uh, or Beist, who came up with this contest, even noted that his idea came when he looked at how they were making cups and there was this white space at the top. Why, why aren't we printing something there? Well, that's what we roll to make the rim. Well, why don't we print a prize there? I mean, it was a very clever idea. It's still unique in many ways that we don't see a competitor in the United States doing it, for example. And I think you can do this. In fact, I would probably take it to China where they're trying to open all these stores. I think the Chinese would be thrilled with something like this. But here at home, you've got to realize that McDonald's is coming at you and you've got to find some way to compete the other way to do it would be don't change this contest, but introduce something at another time of the year to fight against McDonald's. Keep them aware that you're still in that market in a big way. Thank you very much for your time. As always, soon to be Dr. Marvin Ryder, if we have anything to do with it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night. That's uh, Dr. Marvin, soon to be Dr. Marvin Ryder. Now I'm going to be convincing myself that I've got to say that all the time. I'm shocked he isn't. He should be. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley show song is called American woman. They've not yet made a song called Canadian sportscaster. Maybe we should write that one as we bring in Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. How'd you like a song called Canadian sportscaster by Burton Cummings? I prefer if it was done by Drake. (laughs) Oh, you're a masochist. Uh, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, as I say, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Always a pleasure. Okay, so I want to put this situation out to you because I think this is one of the great, either one of the great troll jobs by a league or one of the stupidest things any league has ever done. The Houston Rockets, who are playing a game tonight, have had a long-running feud with an NBA referee by the name of Scott Foster. They have a, they've, over the last number of years, they've had a bunch of games where this guy has refereed their games, has officiated their games, and almost every single time they are finished a game with this guy on the floor, they are enraged. Um, Harden, uh, 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 James Harden talking about him back just in February. Scott Fo- this is his quote, Scott Foster, man, I never really talk about officiating, but just rude and airing it. I mean, you can't. You're not able to talk to him throughout the game. It's not even that call. It's who he is on the floor. It's frustrating. You can't have a conversation. You get a technical. Uh, Chris Paul, I mean, I don't know what else to do. I met with the league with him before. I don't know what else to do. They go on and on. Even their coach is upset. So as I say, they're playing a game tonight against Golden State. Who does the NBA assign to referee this game? The guy that Houston says that they hate and cannot get along with. Is this the NBA telling Golden State or telling Houston shut up and play, we'll decide here or is this a bad move by saying we're just going to create an opportunity for controversy? Well, you know, it, it really has been a, a lot of chatter since the NBA. In fact, you know, what was a really wonderful game between two teams, the, the, the Warriors and the Rockets, where, you know, a lot of people believe maybe this may be the NBA final right now. Um, with these two Western Conference powerhouses. Um, but it has been, unfortunately, just overshadowed by talks of, of officials. Uh, Chris Paul's fined, I believe, $35,000 for making contact with an official after being ejected late in the game. Um, you know, there were, I'll be honest, Scott, there were several uh, things I saw in that game, and a lot of it had to do with the fouling of players while they're taking shots. There needs to be some type of uh, 
definitional definition on that rule because even for some of the examples you were just talking about and some of the comments that players were making in the past have to do with the definition and the execution and the calling of that particular rule because both of those teams are big jump shooting teams like taking the three-pointer so uh, it, it, having any one of these guys referee th- this game tonight could ignite some type of if- issue because both teams are on edge with that said, I will also add, and this is a known thing around the league, that the Houston Rockets tend to be a little whiny. Yep. And that this that is a, a reputation that has followed them throughout. And like we see in Major League Baseball, um, and I try to explain to people all the time, officials, umpires, referees are human beings. And if you get in their grill... If you call them too many names, if you're rude or rip them on the floor or any playing surface, they remember this stuff. And as someone that controls a certain amount of power in the game, sometimes calls don't go your way. Uh, We had an issue with the Raptors last night that were really upset over a number of calls, and I'm in my mind thinking to myself, guys, you got to zip it up because... This could carry with you for the rest of the se- rest of the of the series. And so you got this situation, and you uh, you very correctly point out that in the first game between Golden State and Houston, there were controversies around calls that were made. So already the NBA knows that going forward in the series, everybody is going to be watching the officials. Mm-hmm. Why then do you seemingly? poke Houston in the eye by picking the one guy that they consistently have had a problem with. Because, look, I'm not arguing that Scott Foster, this referee, should be benched and not be allowed to do games. But if you've got one guy that has had consistent problems with a team, why not move Foster to the Raptors 76ers series or one of the other series and give someone else just, just to take away the chance that at the end of this game, the talk for the next week is going to be all about how the refs messed it up, if that's what ends up coming from it. I would want to avoid this if I could. Well, and, and, and I think that's logical thinking, Scott, but I think one, you're looking at a situation where most of the officials are being graded, and as the series go on from the quarterfinals to the semifinals, there are officials who have been graded all season long. They get a certain grade for what they had during the regular season, and the better referees get the playoff games. As they so should. You're, you're, as they should. So at this point of the season, you are already dealing with a limited amount of officials. And I just don't know, to your point and to your question, if you could say, well, this team, this coach, this referee has a bad reputation with this coach, and that you need to be shuffling on, making your decision on, on that merit. Um, the official is the official. The players and the coaches kind of have to just deal with it. And I, 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 to your point again, and as I said a moment ago, I'm, I don't want this guy, if he has earned the playoff work, he should get the playoff work. I just don't know that you need to assign him. If there is, if it's one ref and one team that just are oil and water, seems to me that unless, now here's the thing, unless the NBA, while they would say otherwise, unless they just love the nonstop 
chatter about the controversy. No, I can't believe, Scott, sorry, I have to stop you. I can't believe any league in professional sports that would want the conversation to be about officiating and not the game itself. I would think, but maybe they look at it, maybe they look at it, well, they can only be, only one of two things can be happening here, I, I really believe. Either they're okay with the controversy because people are talking about the NBA one way or another, and if there's controversy, people tune in. So there's that. Or they are making a point to the Rockets to say, we're in charge here, not you, deal with it. And I think that's probably the, 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 what's going on right now. And I think that that's probably the way it has to be. Heck, I mean, we probably have to talk to someone like a Ron Foxcroft who has done the job before of, of evaluating officials on a daily, you know, on a daily game-by-game basis. And I will have to say this. If Scott Foster grades out as the best official, so be it. I mean, if he's the best official and he gets the NBA Finals and the Golden State Warriors or the Houston Rockets end up in the finals, well, they're going to still have to deal with it anyway. But that's different to me, because that at that point you don't have options. Because there, is, there are only two teams playing. There's only one game, and the best officials, because of the system, get it. So if that's the case, you're right. But in this case, they could put him somewhere else. It doesn't diminish his uh, position. It doesn't diminish what he's doing. He still gets the games. My my question about this comes in, okay, so let's say they play tonight and let's say there is a call that Houston is vigorously upset about at the end and, and it could have changed the game. The only talk you're going to have now going forward, especially if it was Foster who made the call, is, look, the guy who's in their mind screwed over Houston all season long and for years now screwed them over again at the worst possible time. I don't know why you would want to open that door. I just don't. But, but where does screwed over go over? That's in the opinion of one team. And one and, fan base. And, 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 and one and, fan and base. And one fan base, right? Like, yep. I think anyone, you know, like you or I watching the game who maybe don't have a, 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 a you know, a stake in the, in the race or, you know, in, in, in any particular team, I mean, I, I think logical minds, as I think the NBA do, will grade that official, that grade that situation on a on a case by case situation. Now, from one from what I've read, um, there were calls that were made in that game on Sunday, where the, in the opinion of the NBA, I think there's something called a two minute report that is done because there are as I said, even the playoff games, the officials are being evaluated by members of the NBA. And that the in the true spirit of the rule of not what we're talking about with the shooting rule, it was deemed that the the officials' calls were incorrect. So in the, and I mean and what we're seeing and we saw this with the San Jose Sharks and the, um, the Vegas Golden yep. Knights where there was an apology given out. But they're on the NBA website. You can after every single game you can go find this two minute report where every single whistle that was blown has been graded by by someone. And it's to the, and it's available to the public and to the teams. And I, this is not an argument about the difficulty of the refs or whether the refs are good or bad. I think the refs do. When you watch the NBA with that many big bodies in that small a space, it's an impossible game to call. I'm not. It's not. It's to me. It's not a question of whether the refs are doing a good job or a bad job. I think the refs are doing a fine job with what they're doing. That's not the issue. It's just if you have one guy who is a lightning rod, why place him in the middle? of this thing. And to that end, I'm I will make you a bet right now. And since I don't bet for money, I don't gamble. I'll make you a bet for whatever. That when the NFL assigns their games next year, the guys who blew the call in the playoff game in New Orleans on that non-pass interference call, I will bet you money they do not call a game in New Orleans this year. <laughs> 
because the NFL will look at this and say, why do we want to make the game about those officials? And if we give that game to them, even if they call it perfectly, we know that entire game is going to be about those officials. Can I say this, though, Scott? It would be so much, and that's a great example of what you're saying, and I do understand this, understand the spirit of what you're saying, but I think it is a lot easier in football when you're playing 16 regular season games with a crew of, I believe, 11 or 12 officials uh, to, to, to do that as compared to the NBA where you've got 82 regular season games I think it is easy to probably hide an official from a particular team in that situation, whereas it becomes virtually impossible in the NBA or the National Hockey League because they play, or even baseball because they play some game. They play so many games. You are going to at some point run into that official, or that, uh, or that umpire, or or that referee. Yep. It, 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 I think I may be a sadist. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> I am. I'm actually kind of hoping that he ends up in the middle of a really controversial moment tonight. I really do, because then I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is just beautiful. Then, because then. Again, this is all that anyone is going to be talking about, and it's going to be on the NBA, and it's going to be on the officials, and it's going to be on Houston, and it's going to be on whatever. I There is a sadistic part of me that kind of hopes there is a moment today that he's right in the middle of. You know, I, I hope not, because, I, I mean, the way I look, I look at the Rockets, and I look at the, you know, the, the two-time defending champions, and there's, there's a tremendous amount of basketball ability between... You know, yep. both teams. And, and you just really want to see a good team. They had such an amazing, outstanding playoff series last year, which many believe the Rockets should have won, but they did not. And, and you know, the Golden State went on to, you know, win their second straight championship. So uh, let, let's hope, I mean, we're talking more about Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and James Harden and Chris Paul on a more positive light than, than you know. I, I've always said this. I mean, I, I don't even want to know the name of an official. Didn't, didn't there used to be a player named Scott Foster? I think there was, not that long ago. Big, tall guy with tattoos that was on Survivor eventually. Uh, yes, you could. Yeah, you're right. Uh, in the NBA, Scott Foster. I do believe, yeah, I do believe that. All right, let me switch to something else, and I want to pick up on something. I started this conversation last night unintentionally. I didn't know I was going to be talking with you about it today. started this with Don Robertson on the show last night, and it was about soccer, but I want to bring it into the hockey thing. We were talking about diving. And it turns out that in the, the, and where we go with this is because unbeknownst to Don and I, when we were chatting last night, in the St. Louis-Dallas game that happened later on, there was probably since Esatikinen and maybe since Ken Linsman and possibly since Brad Marchand and certainly since Bill Barber, (laughs) the most epic NHL dive of all time. And it wasn't just one, it was a troika, it was a trifecta of diving, it was um, Robert Bertuzzo of Dallas and Essa Lindell, uh, sorry, Robert uh, Bertuzzo of St. Louis and Dallas defenseman Essa Lindell. And Bertuzzo was giving him some, what you see a million times in a game, some taps on the back, cross checks, I guess, by the legal definition of the term, but certainly not vicious blows. And man, Lindell was going down each time like there was a second shooter on the grassy knoll. I mean, he was going down with all of the conviction of a man who just had both of his legs blown off. And he did it three times in a row looking to get a penalty. Now, eventually, they both got a penalty, one for cross-checking and one for diving. Should the NHL up the penalties right now for diving? I I believe wholeheartedly 
that they should. I believe that if you want to keep the game honest and you want to give the refs, again, we're talking about refs, a chance to call these things properly, you have got to do something severe to get diving out of the game. Now, I believe with the, I, I, and I could stand corrected, but I'm you know, 99% correct that with that two-minute minor penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct for diving will come a fine. Yeah, a f- uh, I think it's $500. And, you know, uh, a fine. I mean, and yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's a, a fee. That, it's like you, you, know, buy, you or me buying a coffee when you consider how much <laughs> money they make. Seriously. Like, it means the, nothing to them. For some of them. Yeah, definitely for some of them. And, and you're right. Um, but uh, it's a tactic, though, Scott. Right? Of course, like, and that's the problem. Right? That, that's it, it, the problem. It's a tactic with, for a lot of, in, in a lot of sports. In basketball, in soccer, um, and unfortunately, in an era where we have, instead of four camera coverage, we have 12. <laughs> and there have been times, still to this day, where players dive and get that necessary advantage or man advantage or a power play or a particular call is made. And I think that this is something that will always, I mean, we talk about cheating. Uh, will it ever end? Um, no. no, no. Everyone's no. going to try to cheat to get an advantage. And and so what Don and what I suggested to Don last night, not knowing it was going to come up in hockey again, is that there's a very simple way to get rid of this. And it's not simple for the referees on the ice. I'm not blaming the referees on the ice. They can only call what they can see. Oh, you as the saddest, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to this. No, no, I'm being absolutely <laughs> serious. And that is every game is watched by guys up in the booth on a bunch of TVs. If when they're watching this, they spot that someone has completely, easily, clearly embellished, mm-hmm. you give them a suspension. After the game, it's after the game, and you are suspended. First time it's a game, second time it's two games, and it would not take very long for guys to stop doing it. And the reason it's important is not just because it looks ridiculous. You're asking the referees on the ice or on the pitch in soccer or in basketball or wherever, you're asking these guys to do an impossible job. If you can take out the acting they can do that job properly. Because then when a guy goes down, they can make a decision that, oh yeah, he really went down, and if he didn't really go down, well, he's going to get suspended later on. I, I would I would be all for it to crack down even harder on these guys. But I, I believe the National Hockey League does have that right now, though, Scott. Well, not um, that, no, they get the $500 penalty and they get their name on a on a bad boy list which I'm not really sure what happens with that list. Maybe maybe after like four offenses, they get a suspension of a game or something. Yeah, but. I mean, there is a graduated amount that, that, that happens. I do believe it is more than $500. Um, um, and, and, I mean, it can lead to, you know, some serious money. But you're right. Maybe maybe it's it's a, instead of a, you know, what, a graduated pay a fine system that maybe it is a fine first offense and then a suspension followed. Like, I mean, if you're saying to be much more strict on players in this situation, um, what we do know, what we do know, and, and, this, and give the, the league some credit here, and we're talking about the National Hockey League here, that even though there are many times, like that you said, that, game, that these, the diving happens um, and that the ref, referees don't see it and don't call it, uh, Situations are seen on the ice, and players are fined without an actual penalty actually happening. It, it is difficult because it's not always easy to tell, but there are times, and last night was one of the prime examples, where it was you did not need to be to have a background in Shakespearean acting <laughs> to recognize when acting was happening. And it was so embellished and so over the top 
that anybody who was watching on the booth on a TV could have called down and said, you know what, or, or, or after the game said, I'm sorry, there is no physical human way that that blow could have led to that result, therefore you're suspended for the next game. And that guy, I'm telling you, I really believe it, that guy is not going to do it the next time. You get put out for the next game and you hurt your team, you're not doing it again. You forced me to grab my NHL rule book, Rule 64, Diving Slash Embellishment. Uh, first offense, warning. Second incident, $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 uh, for the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth uh, time that a player is, is, is therefore fined for. Okay, so uh, you're making a million bucks, and most guys are making more than that, but you're making a million bucks a year, and you're onto your eighth diving infraction, and they're still only giving you a $5,000 fine, which, okay, it's maybe not a coffee equivalent, it's a burger. <laughs> it's not... It doesn't mean anything. The way you the way you change behaviors in modern sports is time out of the game, with your with your salary equally taken away for that game and put into the special fund for the yeah, head office party, whatever that they means, do with it. What it, I mean, what is what does every player in sport want to do? They want to play. Yep. And uh, you, you know you're not you're not wrong by saying that. That's for sure. Um, also remember, Scott, that when you make these type of rules, that not only does the NHL make the rule, it has to be agreed upon with the, you know, in some type of collective bargaining agreement with the players, um, you know, the players' union and association as well, too. So sometimes to be tougher with these rules becomes very, very difficult. Let me just put it this way. we got to go. If you were to give Taz a bump in the chair around the desk and she were to go down like she'd been shot. The HR department call. <laughs> yes, but you know what? And then I would say, look, she dove. Suspension for Taz. I'm now doing the news for the next couple days while Taz serves her suspension. That, see, that, that would be the fair way to do it. Uh, generally, but, but <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> there has been no bumping or shoving or violent behavior towards Taz Boga at any time by Bubba O'Neill, just for clarity. Well, why did it have to be Taz? Why okay. could it have been like Phil or someone? Justin Dunn. I feel better about it. Okay, so if Phil goes down and his hair gets mussed, that's a four-day suspension for you. But if he dives, that's four for him. See how that works? Oh, yeah, there's probably be more for that lid of his. You'd, you'd have to hit him pretty hard to dent that lid. <laughs> Bubba O'Neill, thanks for doing this as always. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.